Praise the Lord. You know, one thing that we hold very dearly at this church is that we're a sending church. We're a church that we're trained, we're discipled here, and then we see people go out. And they'll be going out. I love it, going to Papua New Guinea, going to Taiwan, going to other nations. But also, we go out into our world, into our lives, into the places we work. So that's one of the reasons we call this Ascending Church, and it's exciting to see what God's doing among our people. So today, if you wanted to get a take-home, I'll give it to you in one word. Rejoice. Say that with me. Rejoice. Rejoice. I talk about that this morning. We talk about rejoicing, but we live in a world that's in crises. There's a lot of crises going on right now. To me, it seems like more than normal. You have Hurricane Ida, which is threatening Louisiana for landfall um, sometime this afternoon. They've said that this um, hurricane may be the strongest since 1850 to hit that area. And that's the New Orleans area, which you know has been battered in not too many years ago. I want to pray that the Lord will calm the storm. We have major fires in Northern California, in the Lake Tahoe area. Not to mention COVID. Remember COVID? Still um, happening, still very prevalent in much of the world, still a factor in our nation. And the Delta variant um, seems to be on the rise. It's a factor. Then you take it home, and we have families that are hurting. There may be crisis around the world, but there's people who are carrying great struggle in their homes. But this morning, I want to focus on the crisis that's happening in our prayer time right here in Afghanistan. As I understand things that our deadline that we've agreed to as a nation to pull out troops is Tuesday. And the challenges and the dangers ahead of us are tremendous. And we've already lost the lives of a number of our servicemen. I was looking through their pictures just this morning, the pictures of young men who have died this last week defending the airport and many, many Afghans who have also given their lives. It's a tremendous crisis. And so I'd like to pray this morning. I believe that the most important thing we can do right now is to pray. We're looking at other options, but beyond that, but we want to pray this morning for Afghanistan. We need the God of peace to bring peace to a war-torn land. I want to pray for Afghanistan. Would you stand with me as we lift up this land and this crisis that is before us? We have three points of prayer that can be projected here. I want you to pray with me in these things. Father, I pray for protection over the women and children. Oh God, they are at such risk. They're so vulnerable. And God, you are the God of the widow, of the orphan. And Father, we pray for their protection. We pray against the abuse that is prevalent. We pray for their lives, God. We pray for the women and children, for their education, Lord. All that is at risk. And God, we pray that your hand would be upon them, guiding, protecting providing in ways we can't even imagine. Father, we pray for a revelation of Jesus Christ. As you knocked Paul 
or Saul off his horse and revealed yourself to him, an enemy of the cross, Father, I pray you would be knocking a lot of people to the ground in dreams and visions, in revelations of Jesus Christ. Father, reveal yourself to this land. Thank you for the revival that I've heard is happening in the land. Father, may the light and the truth of your gospel shine brightly. And Father, I pray for those who are being um, harassed, persecuted, tortured, harmed. God, I pray for courage. I pray against a spirit of fear that would come so naturally, Lord. But God, I pray that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit. And Father, give them courage in these unbelievably difficult times. Father, we lift up Afghanistan, God, with this deadline coming, looming. Jesus, we ask for your help and your mercy upon this land. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to invite you tomorrow. I'd like to call the church to a day of prayer and fasting tomorrow. Monday, the day before the deadline, hits on Tuesday over there. I think it's good for us to do whatever we can to pray for this land. And I encourage you to join me. The church is often called in time of crisis to, Jesus calls us to pray and to fast. So we're going to do that tomorrow, and I would invite you to set that day aside as a day of prayer whenever you can in your work time, the time you'd be having meals, to pray for this land and for God's peace to reign over this time of crisis. So into this turmoil, kind of starts off a bit negative, got a lot of problems going on in our world, right? Jesus said that would happen. In this world, you're going to have tribulation. We've all experienced it in different forms, maybe physically, maybe relationally. In a world of trouble, the Lord calls us to rejoice. Now, that's not a natural reaction, is it? In fact, sometimes I've heard people say, well, that's just not genuine. That's not authentic. I don't feel like rejoicing. How many of you, when you're really hurting, feel like rejoicing? You say, well, I don't feel like it. Well, great. Do it anyway. We're not controlled by our feelings. It's okay to say, I don't feel like rejoicing, but God calls us to rejoice. It is a command. We want to talk about that. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. It's a command for you to rejoice even in times of trouble. Maybe especially when things are difficult. Two verses later, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Rejoice always. I can just, just hear somebody thinking, are you kidding me? How in the world do I rejoice when the world's falling apart? But it's not my word, it's the Lord's word that is telling you to rejoice in the middle of difficult times. In everything, give thanks. I want to read a story from the Bible especially for our kids who are with us today, but the rest of you can listen in, okay? Story comes out of Acts 16. We've been working through the book of Acts. 
Jumped ahead to Acts 16, and I want to read of the New Living Translation, because it's a little easier for our kids. So Paul and Silas and Dr. Luke and some other believers were in a city called Philippi, which is a big city. It was a Roman city, and they went there. Their goal was to tell people about Jesus. They had been commissioned by Christ to let the world know about, about God, about Jesus. And we start in verse 16 of Acts chapter 16. One day, this is Dr. Luke is writing, one day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. Pause for a moment. She was a fortune teller and she was empowered by satanic powers. This is not a good thing. This is not something we should be a part of. This was, uh, there are powers in the world that are not of God, and she was empowered by those powers, demonic powers. She could tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. So she was a fortune teller. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated, he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Poof. I can only have my wife do that, really. <laughs> and instantly it left her. Her master's hope of wealth were now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews. They shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Time out. So what in the world is going on here? Paul and Silas, followers of Jesus, they had done nothing wrong. You get this? Innocent people, and they, what were they doing? They had come to tell people about Jesus. They'd come down to an area that had not heard the good news, the gospel, and they said, let me tell you, the Messiah has come. The Savior of the world has come to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And he lived his life here in Jerusalem and in, in Israel, and then he was crucified by the religious Jewish leaders. But, by but then he rose from the dead, and by trusting in him, you can have salvation. You can have forgiveness of sins. You can be made right with God. Those are good news. That's great news. And everybody should have said, woo, party time, right? It was time to rejoice because the Savior had come, and they should have just thrown him a big old party. But 
That's not what happened. Instead, the people got angry because those who controlled the demonic woman and her evil ability to see into the future, they lost their jobs. They lost their income. And so they formed a mob. And Paul and Silas were falsely accused, stripped, and beaten. And they were beaten with rods, long sticks made of birch bark, they think. This is obviously a broomstick. But if you had two strong soldiers and they began to beat you with rods, I just can't imagine the horror, the pain, the harm. You ever smacked your shin on something? Just bumped it? And someone who would beat, they say they focused on the feet. And they had long rods and soldiers would beat you without mercy with these rods. A lot of times people died in these beatings. They were so horrific. And then they threw them into prison. These prisons were not like the prisons we imagine in America today, which are harsh enough as they are. But those prisons were dark. They would have smelled horribly because their bathroom facilities would have been vastly lacking. Their feet were clamped in stocks to where you're sitting probably on rocks after you've been beaten and their feet were locked into stocks so they would have been extremely uncomfortable in great pain. And then the prison doors were closed and locked. Let me just say this is a bad day, right? If you say, how was your yesterday? If this was you in these kind of situations, I mean, we all have bad days sometimes, right? This is a really bad day. You've been beaten. You're imprisoned. They've been killing other Christians. You're probably next. And I ask you this question, what would you have done? You. What would you do in that situation? Some of our Afghan brothers and sisters may experience similar situations like this in these days. What would you do in that kind of situation? Well, the scripture gives us an idea, and I think, well, what would I do? It's hard to know, really. It's hard to know what you would do in that crisis. Would you cry? Probably. Would you moan? Would you rail against God? Would you simply be in despair? Here's what Paul and Silas did. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. What? So it's about midnight, they're in such great discomfort and pain, they probably can't sleep anywhere. And so what do they do? They're praying. Now that I get. I think I'd be saying, oh God, save me. Oh God, deliver me. God, help me. I I can see the prayer, but they began to sing. They began to sing hymns to God. They weren't cursing God, which one could do. God, what have I done wrong? What have I done to deserve this? 
I thought you were the God of love. Is this the way you love your people? We could be complaining, cursing God. But they began to sing. They began to sing. Songs of praise while they are in the worst time of their lives. Did they feel like it? Doesn't say. I don't imagine they were just filled with great joy as they were in such pain. But they began to sing. I tried to imagine what they'd sing. I just try to picture Silas going, trying to catch his breath through the pain, going, I have decided to follow Jesus. And then Paul joined in, I have decided to follow Jesus. Maybe some prisoners, prisoners ready? I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. And suddenly, while they were worshiping, while they were singing, while they were doing their best to rejoice in the middle of trauma, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundation. And the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison's doors were wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We are all here. Why was he about to kill himself? Because as a jailer, if one of his prisoners escaped, he would be executed. And so he saw the gates open, the chains off, and he thought, I'm a dead man, and he went to kill himself. But Paul stopped him. And the jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. There's a reversal, isn't it? The jailer kneeling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and all who lived in his household and even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them, washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in their household, his household, were immediately baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. It's a crazy story, isn't it? It's amazing what happens when God shows up. Situations that are... Horrible can be transformed suddenly. But a couple of things I want us to really take home for us today. One is, is that rejoicing and worship have the power to change your life. Rejoicing and worship have the power to dramatically change things in your life. And secondly, you can choose to worship and praise the Lord in your darkest hour. It's a choice you can make. It's a choice you have to make. How will you respond? You can't always control your circumstances. But you can control, you can choose how you will respond in this world. 
When you're facing your worst problems, you can worship. When you're in your darkest moment, you can choose to sing songs of worship. When you're sad, you can choose to rejoice. You are not a victim of your emotions. I want to close with a story. Maybe 20 years ago, I had been invited to speak in a discipleship school in Haiti. I lived in the Dominican Republic, and about an eight-hour bus ride. They had like the beautiful Greyhound buses, air-conditioned Mercedes buses, luggage underneath, big tall bus. And we were on our way. I was on my way home from Haiti. I'd finished my week of teaching students, and we were traveling this long road. The driver, being a classic Dominican driver, was driving too fast. They drive fast. And we were going through the desert. We'd crossed over the border. We were in the Dominican Republic, and he was on this long straightaway through the desert, going, I don't know, 65, 70 miles an hour. And the road at the end of the desert road, as it entered into the mountains, turned sharp right. And he hit that turn at full speed. Tried to make the turn. I was napping, you know, just eight hours of getting home to my family. He turned the bus like this. And you know, when you're in a tall vehicle, it sometimes goes like this, that sway. Well, the bus went like this, but didn't come back. So it went like this. As he turned, the bus fell onto its side and then skidded off the road, flipped upside down, and smashed into the mountain at high speeds. First thing I really recall is waking up laying on the ceiling of the bus, inside the bus, on the ceiling. All the windows had shattered. People were everywhere. And all I could think of was, get out. In all the movies, the buses blow up, right? So I figured we were about to blow up, so I just, I saw an open window. I was alive. Found the window, scrambled out the window, and took off running. I stopped and I could hear people calling for help and I thought, what am I doing here? So my second move was I ran back to the bus, started pulling out people out of the bus who were injured. I was just lightly injured. There were people at all levels of injury in this bus. We had 42 of us, I believe, on the bus. Two people died in this accident. So it was a traumatic day. I got home by nightfall. My shoulder was banged up, but I was fine. So physically, praise the Lord, I made it through. But I was not okay. Something had happened inside of me. I couldn't explain it. I'd never had it happen to me before. But I was affected. In my soul, in my mind, call it trauma, PTSD. I don't know what it was, but I was affected at a deep level. And so that summer we came home and we bought an RV as good missionaries to travel America. We traveled 17,000 miles that year in this RV with my kids. And every time, you know, Janet and I trade off driving a lot. And every time Janet would turn to the right, not to the left, the left was fine. But every time she turned to the right and this RV would go like this, I would go, something happened. And I, I could not stop it. And she'd say, Honey, you've got to calm down. Your 
you know, I'm not going to, I have to turn to stay on the road. You know, this is the way you drive. Yeah, I mean, how many times has you turned to the right in 17,000 miles? A lot. And this vehicle would go like this, and I would have this adrenaline surge. And I prayed, and I couldn't stop it. I couldn't figure out what to do. I understood because of the accident that there was a connection. And it was really affecting me. I mean, even I, I remember a time I was asleep in the back. We had a little bed back there in the camper, and I was asleep, and she made some turn, and I just came off the couch. You know, I mean, even when I was asleep, I was reacting. I said, Lord, what do I do? And the Lord just told me, he said, worship me. Rejoice. I'm like, I'm not really happy about this. <laughs> Rejoice. So I decided I can't control what's happening inside of me. Something, I've been harmed. But I can control what I do after that. How I respond after that. So she turned, I go, whoa! And then I go, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. And the entire summer, as we travel, she'd turn right, I'd go, ah! and then i go, I love you, Lord. Bless the name of the Lord. I don't know what my kids thought. You know, Dad's really kind of, whoo, you got it going off on this thing. But I just thought, if Satan thinks he's taking me down by this one accident, he's got something I'm going to show him. He's going to find I'm going to become a worshiper like I have never worshipped before in my life. And every time we turn and every time I had that negative reaction, I would just worship. And I spent my summer worshiping the Lord like I had never worshiped before in my life. You know what happened? The interesting thing. As I worshiped and brought Jesus into my trauma, I started to get better. My anxiety lessened. My joy increased, and I just continued to worship the Lord. And I think Satan on the other side went, you know, this isn't working very well. I wanted to kill this guy, and that didn't work. And then I wanted to destroy him emotionally, and all he's doing is praising Jesus. We better find another plan. And God brought me great joy in worshiping him and recovering from a trauma. And I believe that God calls us to worship him in our times of difficulty. Like Paul and Silas, in the prison, what happened when they sang songs of worship? The prison doors busted open. The chains fell off. And salvation came, at least to the jailer and his family. God had the victory. And my challenge to each of us is that we would become people who rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, not just when you're happy. What situation are you facing today? What painful situation? What situation would you really love to see different in your family, in your home, in your body? I say, let's rejoice. That doesn't mean that you can't cry. It doesn't mean that you don't suffer. It means that when you're going through those difficult times, choose to be somebody that says, I'm going to worship the Lord, even though life is not as I would have it be. 
And I believe that as we do that, we'll be bringing Christ into our problems. The scripture says that God inhabits the praises of his people. So you want God to show up? Praise him. Worship him. You know, my dad had this figured out pretty well. Not perfectly, pretty well. I remember he, he was determined to praise the Lord in difficult situations. I remember one time we missed a turn in some city, missed the highway, and he was not happy. And he went, praise the Lord. And I said, well, Dad, you get points for trying. I'm not sure that really was really good worship, but you, at least you're trying, right? And I'd encourage us. It takes, it's a process. And he's like, okay, 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 okay. And he kind of got himself there. Let's be people that invite the Lord into our difficult times, into our pain. As we pray for Afghanistan, horrible situation, let's worship over Afghanistan. Let's praise God that he is not absent and has not left these people alone. That he's present there. and That he's bigger than the Taliban. He's bigger than problems they face. And let's be people who rejoice and give thanks and worship right into the challenges of our life. Amen? Let's stand. Jesus, I thank you that you are bigger than any problem we face. Father, forgive us when we try to resolve our situations apart from you. When we think it's us and not you. When we think that we have the ability to resolve things apart from you. Father, I pray that you would put inside of us a steadfast determination to be those who rejoice in the Lord always. Help us, Jesus. We can't even do that without your help. So help us to do that. And may you be glorified as we walk out our faith, especially in times that are difficult. We give you this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thanks for being with us today.